Well, it's June, so happy Pride Month, everyone. Unless you're from a country that celebrates a different time of year, like uh, the UK or Germany. And given that this is a history podcast, I guess I could have waited until LGBTQ plus history month. But guess what? It's my show and it's June 1st, so now I finally have a reason to talk about the sacred band of Thebes. And, and just so you know, you don't need to be a member of the LGBTQ plus community to enjoy this episode. Because, you know, no matter who you are, you can always enjoy the awesome moments of history that, that exist. Hi, I'm Nicholas Fowler and welcome to Historical Hijinks. You know, a lot of people say that Western history is misrepresentative because most of it is written by straight white men. And well, I mean, they're not wrong. In most places of the world, for the better half of a few thousand years, being homosexual was generally frowned upon. Most members of the LGBTQ plus community were ignored at best and uh, hunted down and prosecuted at worst. There were exceptions, of course. I mean, they found records of at least one gay marriage in medieval Europe that was actually held by a priest. But other than that, records of people from the gay community are few and far between. Now, that doesn't mean that there were no people like that at the time. They just didn't publicly come out. There are tons of historical figures who are secretly gay, bi, or transgender, like Alexander the Great, Leonardo da Vinci, Akhenaten, Peter Tchaikovsky, Ive Hahn, Richard of Lionheart, and so on. But this isn't a podcast of listing off people from history who were secretly gay, because today we're looking at some really cool stories from history, showcasing the amazing accomplishments of groups whose members were members of the uh, LGBTQ plus community. And yes, as the title suggests, that includes an army of gay men known as the Sacred Band of Thebes. But to properly explain the history of the Sacred Band, we must first travel back to the gayest place in all of history. San Francisco? No, ancient Greece. Boo! Try something ah, else for I'm sick of Greece! Okay, okay, look, look, I know, I know, I, I, I know that I've covered ancient Greece a lot in the past few episodes. Four out of six of the last episodes involved ancient Greece! Yeah, I know, but in my defense, I, I'm really bad at planning and I realized my mistake too late. So, uh, how about this? I get to talk about the sacred band of Thebes, who happened to be in ancient Greece, this week and next week. I won't talk about Greece at all. Even better, I won't talk about Europe at all. Deal? Alright, but I got my eye on you. Alright, we've gotten way off track here. Back on topic. <clears throat> From 500 BCE to 400 BCE, Sparta did a lot of fighting. And yes, for those of you 300 fans out there, this is when they fought Xerxes at the Battle of Thermopylae. During this time, Sparta along with Athens, Persia, and Thebes, were all battling for control over the Greek land. After Persia was repelled and Thebes' army was destroyed, it all came down to Athens versus Sparta. Sparta knew that while they unquestionably had the better army and more manpower, Athens was the master of the sea, with a massive fleet of ships. But here's the thing about boats. You can build more. Well, it takes a bit more time to make a person. So, Sparta had the brilliant idea to make more boats than Athens, and they zerg rushed them to death, thus winning the Peloponnesian War. So, Sparta, now the ruler of all of ancient Greece, decided to subjugate all their former enemies, and if they ever revolted, to suppress them with an army. As you can probably imagine, nobody liked this, except Sparta. They liked this very much. 
but everyone else, they hated it. Especially Thebes. They hated being controlled by Sparta, but they were simply too weak to fight back. By this point, it was 380 BC, and Sparta was at the height of its power, and Thebes had enough of Spartan rule. They needed a way to fight back, but to do that, they would need a way to beat Sparta in war. They eventually came up with an idea for a small and elite army in addition to the regular forces. And one general named Pelopidas had an idea. It was a common military belief at the time that if a soldier was married, he wouldn't fight as well. I mean, you're going into battle, where you might, you know, die. If you have a wife or children, you, you might hesitate, you know, not throw yourself into battle, ready to risk your life. Because, you know, you got something to live for. It is for this reason that Sparta whose entire culture revolved around, you know, men becoming soldiers and going to war, made sure that the Spartan soldiers had the same relationship with their wives as a modern deadbeat dad. They came in, had a child, and then the Spartan soldier would leave her and the child forever. But Thebes worked differently, because unlike Sparta, who had an army of full-time soldiers, Thebes had a draft system. This meant that if they were to raise an army, Thebian men would leave their home and job, fight in the war, and if they survived, return home and go back to work once the war was over. And because Thebes thought it needed every single advantage in order to win this fight, they figured that, you know, it wouldn't be very advantageous to have a bunch of people who had families. But you can't just ask half of your citizens to abandon their wives and kids so you can win a war. But General Pelopidas thought he had a solution to this dilemma. My plan is simple. Instead of the men not fighting as well because they are worried for their spouse, they will fight with their spouse. This way they will fight even better because they will protect their beloved on the battlefield. Ah, I see what you're saying. We'll allow women into the military. What? No. We have the elite force made up of gay men. This is ancient Greece. We're sexist, not homophobic. And so, Pelopidas set out to make his elite force. Now, ancient Greece was no stranger to the idea of gay relationships. In fact, they were pretty unique among ancient cultures in how they treated gay relationships. It was openly accepted, and many figures from Greek mythology had gay relationships. But no one had ever attempted to do something quite like what Pelopidas was doing. So, he recruited 150 couples of gay men for an army totaling 300 strong. No, this isn't the army with Leonidas. And they began to train them. The men in the army worked in pairs, alongside their spouses. They trained together ate together, fought together, slept together, and slept together. Now, you're probably wondering if Pelopidas' plan actually worked. I mean, it does sound pretty ridiculous that an army can magically become stronger just because it's comprised of gay men, but it actually worked. I mean, of course it did. That, that's why it's in this video. That's, that's kind of a... That, that, that'd be kind of a terrible Pride Month special. There once was an army of gay men. And that did not work out, and they all died at the end. No, no, it, it worked well. Pelopidas was right on the money. The soldiers, whenever facing off against danger, would fight harder than ever because they needed to protect their beloved. The couples would watch each other's backs, and all the training that they had with their partner made them perfectly in sync while fighting. They were a well-oiled military machine. I know we use the term power couples nowadays, but they were literal power couples. The sacred band became something of a, an elite team. Thebes is ace in the hole, if you will. And they were as elite as it gets. The sacred band fought the Spartans in 375 BCE and won. 
Yeah, the Spartans, whose culture revolved around warfare and who had an army three times the size of the Sacred Band, lost. This was actually the first time that Sparta had ever lost to an army that was smaller than theirs. And with this victory, Thebes and the other Greek cities under Spartan rule rose up against their oppressor and fought a grueling war over the next four years. But throughout the war, whenever someone was fighting the Spartans and uh, it seemed like they were going to lose, the Sacred Band would swoop in and claim victory. And soon, the age of Spartan dominance was over, and all thanks to the Sacred Band. This made the Sacred Band so legendary that they were written about extensively by figures such as the historian Plutarch and the philosopher Plato. In fact, throughout the entire 40 years that the army existed, the Sacred Band only lost one battle, and that was the Battle of Chaeronea in 338 BCE. And this was because the army they were facing was commanded by a young Alexander the Great. This was also the final battle of the Sacred Band, as 254 of the 300 members were killed. But the legend of the Sacred Band lives on. And there's even a 2,300-year-old statue of a lion at the burial site in Thebes dedicated to them to this day. And I think that we can all agree that Hollywood needs to remake the movie 300 starring the Sacred Band. Who's with me? Sorry, I gotta bit carried away there. Let's see, I should probably talk about another topic before ending the show. I mean, this is a Pride Month episode after all. Eh, I figure it might be a good idea to relay the history of Pride Month. It's quite a fascinating story actually, but you need to understand a few things. When a product is illegal, it does not mean that nobody is out to buy them. This means that there is a potential market, but with the product being illegal, that means that there is no government regulation. So, if you were to sell illegal products, it would be outside the law. This was kind of the same thing that was happening to gay bars in New York City during the 1960s. Because gay bars were outlawed, and there was a market of potential patrons, the Mafia decided to open some up in New York City. Now, this wasn't out of the goodness of their hearts, no. The Mafia could have cared less about the LGBTQ plus community, but the gay bars made them money. So, you know, they kept them open. But gay bars were still illegal, and... Police raids would often occur at them, but one particular establishment, called the Stonewall Inn, managed to bribe the policemen to look the other way. But on June 28, 1969, the police raided the Stonewall Inn and lined up the 100 patrons inside. A crowd began to form soon, and when the police began to arrest people, a fight broke out, forcing the police to barricade themselves inside the bar. More police showed up, and it became an all-out brawl for the next 23 hours. The event made national headlines and many people took notice. Then, in June of 1970, people marched in remembrance of the Stonewall Riots. And that's why, in America, Pride Month is in June. Well, there you have it. The history of Pride Month and an awesome army of gay men. I know a lot of marginalized groups got brushed aside in the analogs of history, but if you look hard enough, you can still find amazing stories about them. I know this isn't too long of an episode, but, you know, finals are coming up, so after those are done, uh, we'll see how the podcast goes. Maybe we'll get longer, who knows. Anyway, uh, that's all the time I have for this week. Uh, if you like the show and want to give a suggestion for a topic I should cover, or if you just want to say hi, you can go to my Twitter at at hysthijinks, or you can email me at uh, historicalhijinkspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, I'm Nicholas Fowler, and remember, this has been one for the history books.